Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we're finishing up our discussion of the first book in the Hunger Games trilogy, <gasps> looking at chapters 25, 26, and 27. So why don't you let us know what happens in these chapters? So a lot happens. I'll try to go through this quickly. Katniss, Peeta, and Cato climb on top of the cornucopia to get away from mutations that resemble all of the dead tributes. One of them bites Peeta's leg, and Cato grabs Peeta from behind. Katniss then shoots Cato's hand so that he lets go of Peeta and topples off the cornucopia. Then Katniss puts a makeshift tourniquet on Peeta's leg. The mutts end up gnawing at Cato for hours and hours until it's light enough for Katniss to use her last arrow to kill him. But the games don't end. Another announcement is made that actually, JK, only one tribute can win this year, and neither of them is willing to kill the other, but Katniss knows that the capital has to have a victor, so they both put the Nightlock Berries in their mouths, forcing the capital to declare them both the victors of the games. PETA goes into emergency surgery on the hovercraft back to the capital, and once they are both finally recovered enough to have the closing shows, Hamish tells Katniss she has to convince Penem the stunt with the berries was a desperate act of a love-addled girl, because the capital is furious with her for making them look like fools. Katniss and Peter reunite on stage, watch a recap of the games, have an interview with Caesar, and then get on the train back to District 12. On the way, Peter discovers Katniss's feelings for him were not always genuine, and the book ends with them arriving home and her not wanting to let go of his hand. I would never want to let go of Peter's hand. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, so we, we've come to the conclusion. We have, of these three chapters, one chapter in the Hunger Games, and then two about what happens after, and how the, the games aren't really over. Well, what moments struck you during your reading of these chapters? The one thing that particularly struck me, not just in these chapters, but a few times as I've been reading, I've just noticed about Peta that he is really good at knowing how to distract people, even in the worst circumstances, even when he's in the worst circumstances. In these chapters, it happened with him talking to Katniss as they're on the top of the cornucopia, and it's just this excruciating process of listening to the mutts torture Cato for mm -hmm. hours and hours throughout the entire night, and it's freezing, and there's nothing they can do. And he distracts her by... And, and in a way, you know, helps to try to do a little bit of forward thinking of, look at the little shifts and where the moon is. Time is passing, like this will end. And he also did this when he was so ill and injured and everything and Katniss was trying to help him and she used the leaves to take all of this pus running out, you know, mm -hmm. that made the pus run out of his leg. And she was just like so grossed out. And then he's like, how about a kiss? It's obviously, he's not even feeling it at that moment. Mm -hmm. But it's just like he's distracting her from this thing that's just really uncomfortable for her. And so, yeah, I just, I, I noticed that. And then I know 
as we move into the next book, he definitely does this more. He would be a good counselor. Hmm. Either that or a good friend or both. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, I think that is a skill, mm -hmm. I think. Or I don't even, maybe it's just a talent. Can you learn it well? Because I think it's probably very difficult, especially when he's going through either the same or worse. I mean, in these cases, worse. Like, he's bleeding out. He has a tourniquet. His other leg or or they're all on the same leg. I don't know. He had gotten cut down to the bone. Like, there's just so much pain and suffering going on. And, yeah, he's still being caring and considerate and helpful and spending extra energy to try to help someone else not be suffering as much. Yeah. Yeah. And it's certainly based off of just a, an inherent emotional awareness that he has mm -hmm. in being able to read where people are at and what they need. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, she didn't even explain everything at the end by the train. Mm -hmm. And just from the one thing that Hamish said and the one thing she said, then he oh, extrapolates everything. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's quite clever. Yeah, absolutely. Did anything else strike you? Yeah. Another thing that I just really appreciate is the kind of complicated feelings that she has that she acknowledges about PETA while they were still in the Capitol. Thinking about, I don't know how I feel because what did I do because it was a part of the games? What did I do because it was just a strategy? What did I do because I actually care about this person? What did I do because I needed sponsors? What did I do because I didn't want to be left alone in this terrifying arena, you know, and just that it's, it can be sometimes so complicated to parse out where different things are coming from. And sometimes they can overlap, right? Mm -hmm. And I think part of what she was maybe hoping for was a more straight answer from herself, you know, something that felt more of a pure feeling rather than one that's layered and complex and diluted by this and that. So it's confusing. Yeah, I, I appreciate that it has that in there because I don't know if that's always represented that well and that's like talked about in terms of just you can have all of these different reasons and that's okay. It's not like, oh, but you should only have had this as your motivation. You know, it's like she was saving his life. She was saving her own life. She was trying to get out of these games to help save her sister's life. You know, she yeah. all of these things are, it's just, it's not simple. Absolutely. Um, it's not simple in our everyday lives. How much less simple would it be in a situation like the games? Yeah. And, I mean, it's not simple for either of them. Katniss, I think, we see being more strategic and having a lot more layers to parse through. But Peeta didn't ever confess to her until the mm -hmm. interview totally. in front of all of Pan Am. Like, mm -hmm. he was also using this as a strategy. His feelings are more genuine, and he had them much earlier. But that doesn't mean that he I think he's is completely just divorced as... from it as, as, you know. yeah. I think he's just as strategic, he's just more sincere yeah. in the feelings. That's what hurts him, yeah. <laughs> is that... He assumed it was the same for her. 
or at least at certain I mean I'm sure there were certain points along the way that helped convince him mm -hmm. and I think that those were probably the genuine moments of of her own feelings and care and affection for him because before he was like scared of her you yeah. know to some degree and so some of those moments helped convince him and then I can imagine just going through this entire worst experience ever just that bond that you would form with the other person regardless of whether it's romantic or not would just be so strong and I think it is really strong and that's partially why in at the end of the book she doesn't want to let him go she she wants to explain but doesn't feel like it's fair to to say oh I you know I already miss you and yeah. it's just been like half a day yeah but what about you? What were you thinking about? I had a lot of moments strike me. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll try to choose the ones I think are most compelling. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't mention over half of the ones <laughs> that I wrote down, but yes. <laughs> One thing that, that I was thinking of after our conversation in our last episode was how in, in chapters just before this, Katniss starts thinking about how really she should have known that it would always come down to Cato hmm. and how he would be kind of the ultimate en enemy for her. But in these chapters, she kills him as an act of mercy. Mm -hmm. I think that the juxtaposition between those two is really telling. Um, it's the first time I really saw this as profoundly as I did, but really how it goes so quickly from one to the other, it subverts so much of the idea of the Hunger Games as this kind of action survival competition because that is the idea that, oh, Cato's the enemy. But when it comes down to how the Hunger Games end, her last act against Cato is one of mercy. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, the Hunger Games isn't about the survival. It's not about the fights. It's about how all of these children are victims of the capital. Mm -hmm. And that moment really drives home in any way that they're enemies, that has been forced on them by the capital, and that all of them in the arena are there as victims. Yeah, ultimately, the best thing that she can do in that moment is a blow for Cato, not a blow against him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that was a moment that definitely stood out to me. Another one is when Katniss is on the train, and she goes and gets changed. There are a couple sentences that really stuck out at me. Uh, one, of course, just her saying that she, she saw herself as Katniss Everdeen for the first time in a long time. But one thing that, that really I found interesting was how she mentions that she puts her hair in its braid. Mm. And not in a braid. And that one word, its, I think is really interesting because it is giving her hair a sense of ownership in regards to that braid and how that is her hair's braid and how it is so much a part of her identity and herself when she's not at the behest of the capital. Yeah, it just, I think, was this small little thing that really, to me, carried so much weight in it of her being able to put her hair in its braid for her to do this as a process of becoming herself again. Yeah, it just, I thought it was a really compelling moment. And I don't think I ever picked up on that word before. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. I didn't notice that. But yeah, the idea that 
this is how she feels like herself and it's with her hair a certain way it's taking off a dress and putting pants on it's not having makeup on these are what's natural for her I think that it could be a really interesting look I mean we talk about exploitation and capitalism and violence and stuff so much in our discussions about the Hunger Games obviously rightly so but it could be a really interesting look to pay more attention to ideas of social expectations mm. and norms and bodies and control mm -hmm. because I think that's part of what this is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the capital has dictated all the parameters that she has to choose from. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't like that. Few would probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It sounds awful. I have one last thing that also sounds awful, and that was Perfect. the fact that Cato fights the mutts for an hour. I know. <laughs> which is just horrifying in general. But, like, it also made me think doing any kind of exercise for an hour sounds awful. <laughs> yes. And I've never experienced weeks of starvation and trauma and fighting for my life and then had to do that something like that for an hour and he just ran who knows mm -hmm. how long but yeah it shows his his own kind of skill and yeah i, I kind of took a second to to stop and really try to envision that mm -hmm. envision that time and what it would look like for a fight to go on for that long and yeah. then to understandably lose because after an hour he just couldn't have had energy anymore mm -mm. yeah i mean and you're swinging around a sword that's not light either mm -hmm. obviously the body armor he had protected him of course from succumbing much much earlier but still yeah just the physical energy and exertion that that would take is mind-boggling yeah and one of the thoughts that she had was this is the final word in entertainment. Yeah. Like, this is the spectacle that they want at the end of the games. They want it drawn out like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and they both know that. Mm-hmm. So intrinsically. Exactly. And so powerfully, yeah. All right, well, why don't we go into our next section from another point of view? So whose POV were you thinking about? So I was thinking of a few... Uh, one is the families of the dead tributes mm -hmm. because they didn't only have to see these mutts, but they also had to see them be killed. Obviously, the mutts aren't their kids or their siblings, but still. But I don't but, know if that's even true because Katniss reads them as possibly being them or, or she at least thinks about them in that way. And she does, yeah, but I think that's partially because of the disparity in technology. She's been around her whole life and just not knowing what is the limit of the capability that the capital has. And that's what I'm saying is the families might be thinking the same mm, thing. Yeah. Um, they might be experiencing the same that's thing. That's true. And, you know, Katniss is also, I think, going through a traumatic moment. So she's mm -hmm. unable to really deeply think about these things. Mm -hmm. And they would probably feel similarly yeah seeing something like that absolutely and just don't know what what did they do to their bodies what yeah. you know what was the process like yeah having these questions but 
so much just having this anguish, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just bet that before the mutts entered the games, the Capitol must have had scientists who worked on creating these mutations talk about them resembling the tributes with their eye color and their hair color and their size differences and all of that. I don't know. When I was thinking about that, I was just thinking about like the fury and I don't know. Sorrow also that anyone who loved these tributes must have felt uh, the most insensitive, disrespectful thing that you can do after you already took these kids to be killed mm-hmm. in this arena. Oh, yeah. And and I can imagine the commentators being like, we are going to have them revisit their worst enemies, you know, mm-hmm. and like bill it as this amazing and like uh, entertaining aspect, right? How compelling the game makers are this year. They're bringing back the tributes who died in a way. And yeah, just the the further dehumanization, the further objectification, the, the use of an exploitation of even the likeness of these children who have already been killed is awful yeah it's despicable and yeah especially to ruse five younger siblings Mm -hmm. than she was not understanding and having in a way to see your sister die again yeah so yeah i was kind of i was thinking about that another thing that I was thinking about is after they're like, oh no, you can't both win, just one of you, good luck. Peter says, if you think about it, it's not that surprising. Mm-hmm. I was just, I don't know, thinking about someone who, in the Capitol, who has never had a firm stance against the games, but has never like enjoyed them as much as some people do. Maybe they were pulled in a little bit more to these games because of this love story, because there was actual relationships happening instead of just killing. Mm. Also, just what must be hardcore Everlark shippers just seeing how unfair the games are and maybe thinking for the first time, these games are too callous or maybe even thinking this is wrong maybe being angry at the capital for the Mm -hmm. first time ever because of that yeah i was thinking about that moment a lot too and and how the capital audience would respond to it because katniss hears the capital crowds cheering at the end of the games Mm. which shows that there is a almost like New Year's Eve ball drop type of event going on where people are out in the streets to celebrate the end of the games. Yeah, what is it like to be in that crowd and to have this love story culminate in them both surviving Mm -hmm. and then to hear that rule change? I personally also identified kind of a couple times where I remember watching a show or or something that like took a swing in a way that I didn't expect it to Mm. and having like intense reactions to it (laughs) you know and being like what they're they're doing that what that's happening like Mm. you you probably remember when we were watching WandaVision I had a moment where I was just like I cannot believe this is happening (laughs) yeah 
And I know you were flabbergasted and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah. So I can imagine there's some people who are frustrated. There's some people who are upset. There are some people who are flabbergasted who are just like, that is such a great twist or, or, you Mm -hmm. know, they're kind of engaged with that way. Especially people who didn't bet on them too. Of course. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) They're like, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, but I think that, that those reactions I'm, I'm really, really interested in, um, particularly because the capital seems to be so much more invested in the games. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're going out on the streets to watch the end of this series, you know, that's something that's so important to them. And so how they react to it is something that we we don't really see. And, and one of the things I like about the series is that we do start seeing reactions to some of these events over time. Mm-hmm. And that is one that I would like to, to have seen a little bit more of. Absolutely, yeah. Also, I wonder, because I could imagine Effie very much reacting this way, right? Mm -hmm. But I wonder what Hamish thought. I wonder if he ever thought they could both make it out. Because Pete is like, if you think about it, it's not that surprising. Did Hamish dread this all along since the beginning of that announcement? And did Hamish not want to get his own hopes up? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Clearly he's checked out for so long all of this time because it's just too painful to see these kids that you mentor dying again and again and again. Yeah. And now you have the hope that not one but both could come home. But yeah, he knows that the capital never makes benevolent choices. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the last one that I was thinking about is Peta and his point of view with everything involving his prosthetic leg. Mm. Having to deal with the reactions of others to it. I, I can imagine that Hamish would probably not be the worst about it. I, I don't really know about Portia. I definitely would be skeptical of his prep team. I very much imagine that they would have a lot of ableist comments and attitudes if his prep team's anything like Katniss's, which I assume it is. Yeah. Yeah, I was just kind of took some time imagining him like learning how to walk with it and use a cane and the pain and soreness his muscles might experience getting used to that and what it's like to do something that for your whole life has been so simple like put your pants on or tie your shoelaces and just things being different feeling different yeah then when it got to the point where they're in the interview and Caesar is asking him about it and that's when Katniss finds out about it for the first time just thinking about how this must mean that his medical care and recovery was probably televised as well and that's just another way that the capital operates like they own your body mm-hmm they have the right and to see and question and react to something that's incredibly personal and probably very painful. You know, he didn't even tell Katniss about it. And we don't know if that's he didn't want her to feel bad. But also maybe it's just he's not ready to 
talk about it. Yeah. Even Katniss gets right in there and lifts up his pant leg to, to see. And, yeah, just imagining how... I, I mean, I can't imagine how that would be, but trying to sit with some of those, um, the kind of loneliness or frustration or vulnerability and exploitation he could have felt during that time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, considering that when Katniss finds out, she herself can't be on camera. Mm -hmm. She tries to hide. Like, for him to have that vulnerability be in front of the world. Yeah, you know, I've never really thought about that perspective before of of how he is coping with that or, or trying to cope with that. He's had what? a couple weeks to get used to this if that Mm -hmm. i mean who knows how much of those couple weeks he's been awake you know yeah that does also make me wonder though if not if but how portia started to take in that into consideration her designs Mm -hmm. because i can imagine we don't spend a ton of time with her but did she design pants that would fit him in a way that don't show off this injury but help to you know, mitigate the focus on it. Um, well, it, it does mention his sh- his shoes mm-hmm. that are, you know, she was in sandals, but he had, like, pretty yeah. sturdy shoes on, probably trying to stabilize them in any way yeah. possible while he's still getting used to this. Yeah, but yeah. having a stylist who would have some resources to funnel into having accommodations in your clothing, I think is... Just another prism to think about ideas of ability and access. And yeah, that's just very interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you? What are your other points of view? Yeah, you, you took a couple of mine, as you tend to do. <laughs> um, I'm the capital. I'll take whatever I want. <laughs> One other thing I was thinking about from the capital audience's point of view was I wonder if there are people in the capital audience who were more bought into the performance of Katniss as, like, foolish, young, glove-struck girl Mm. because of the moment where she goes and hugs Hamish, which was a sincere moment Mm. um, the first time that she she sees them all. But I just was wondering, yeah, what it would be like for an audience to watch that scene and have that be a scene that is in contrast with or continuity with the other things that she's done in the arena and then afterwards. And yeah, just kind of how they would see that scene as possibly itself a, a first step in this kind of rebranding of her that the team starts to do after the games. I was wondering if, especially people like Hamish and Cinna, to what extent they were not just worried for the safety of Katniss in particular, but Katniss and Peeta, but also for, yeah her feelings, the things that you were talking about earlier about how, the things that she has to parse and all these things that she has to go through and, and figure out. You know, I think Hamish for sure, and, and probably Cinna also, have a fairly good idea of how sincere she may or may not, ha- not have been, um, or at least the fact that she wasn't as sincere as Peta. At the very least, Hamish would. I'm, I'm not totally sure on Cinna because Hamish has seen her around... Forever. Her entire life. Yeah. He knows the disgruntled girl that goes into the hob, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. 
but yeah, I just, I wonder what it would be like for those who are in the know to recognize and think about how hard that's going to be for her emotionally as a child who has to deal with all of these things and who has one person in the world who really understands what she's been through and she has to, you know, have this extra layer to the relationship that's going to make it a little bit harder. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess I, I just, I was wondering what kind of sympathy they felt for her. But I was also thinking about Effie. The the moment where Katniss mentions that she thinks that Effie probably has a sense that there's something going on. And it made me wonder to what extent this was a game-changing moment for her, for Effie. For her to start taking more seriously the threats of the capital to the tributes and victors. And to see the games as more than just entertainment and a way for her to get more status and and acclaim and and things like that. It sounded like Katniss at least expected her to be fairly savvy in this moment. And I think that for me, at least that became, it made me think a lot about, oh, what's it like for Effie in this moment who is still in charge of a lot of things and there's still a lot to do, but who also is being lauded for her role and also might start to sense some danger for people who she now cares about in a way that she probably hasn't cared about tributes before. Yeah, that's interesting because she's aware enough to know that there is a ton of control that the capital has and that any amount of dissent is not acceptable. But yeah, I wonder if this is the first time that she's thinking about it outside of how it affects her life and more how it affects these two kids that now she kind of cares about. Yeah, I think she's a she's become probably in this read through the character who I have grown in my curiosity about and my interest in. Mm. But we should move into our touch points. So what touch point did you have? So one was the moment when she's offered this fancy drink in a crystal glass as Mm. Peta's being operated on and it has this straw with a completely useless frilly white collar I I know we've talked about it a lot and this isn't like oh no I'm just realizing this for the first time but like I don't know the fact that it's for those things that the economic exploitation of the world is wreaked it's for these things that don't matter. Like mm-hmm. They have no meaning other than to separate the person who has it from the people who don't. No one needs a frilly white collar on their straw. People don't even really need straws most of the time. Mm-hmm. Except if they're having boba, but you can get <laughs> <laughs> eco-friendly ones of those. And so it's like... Just in that moment, after everything she has been through, that this is what she's offered. What Pete is still going through because of these games, that it's because of this stupid drink (laughs) that the capital, the 1%, want to keep oppressing everyone else. Yeah. Billionaires, they don't need more. Like, it's not going to change the quality of life that they have you know and like that's the world that we live in that it's for these things it's so that companies will make more money 
that they'll completely underpay their workers. Like, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's not necessary for them to have any more, but they continue to take at the expense of other people. I know it's like, we talk about this, but it's just in that moment after everything, I just couldn't. <laughs> yeah. There's apparently a, a website. It's called, like, Spend Elon Musk's Money. Oh, no. <laughs> let's see, like... <laughs> see what you could all the things that you could buy with that money and it's just like dozens of yachts and like mm-hmm. it just it's it's such an astronomical amount of money that it it's i think a really interesting thought exercise uh because it really harkens to exactly what you're saying how there's no need for it, it there's literally nothing that it it provides outside of more zeros on the spreadsheet. I mean, it literally benefits no one because mm-hmm. it doesn't even benefit the 1% anymore because they can't get any more benefits than they already exactly. have. So it's like, it, it, there's no benefit. Yeah. There is only destruction. And so, yeah, that that moment I was just like, <laughs> no. I love that moment. Um, I mean, it, it's great. It's, yeah. It's, it's the perfect juxtaposition of the state that she's in because of what they put her through and the pristine things that they have. Exactly. I think that she says she she wouldn't she can't trust something so clean and pretty. Mm. And it's because yeah, she has seen firsthand the underside of the capital. She understands how dirty it really is. Mm. And so something that something that is is made out to be so clean but comes with so much oppression is completely untrustworthy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you have any other touch points? Yeah, something else I was thinking about is how Sin addresses Katniss for the final show slash recap watching and how cuts of clothing and use of makeup can so significantly manipulate age. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's absolutely in our society and it's so often used in a way that tries to disguise the real age of women or girls to look either older or younger mm-hmm. obviously in in this circumstance it's it's very purposeful to try to help benefit Katniss and protect her but most of the time how these things are used it isn't to protect anyone it isn't to help anyone it's used because people who are older are made to feel like it's unacceptable to age to have your body change and people who are younger especially girls it's made to be acceptable to sexualize them and objectify Mm -hmm. them you know, you see that in Hollywood, anyone in the media, pretty much. I'll see little kids like Millie Bobby Brown, who plays Eleven yeah. in Stranger Things. And if you've seen a picture of her on a red carpet, it's like, now she's 18, but what? Like, she doesn't look like she's 18 because the amount of makeup and styling and, you know, like, all of this. And when she was 16, people were sexualizing her probably earlier than that, you know. And it's just this, um, as we talked about early on in this read-through about using fashion 
in a way to feel more empowered or more like yourself uh, even as we were talking in this episode about her. when she has her braid when she has her pants on you know those things she feels more like herself so there can be positives but there can also be like such a negative side I think to these industries as well absolutely yeah and that does highlight so much of how society puts value on women's bodies mm-hmm. I saw a headline the other day where apparently Britney Spears recently posted on Instagram a revealing photo or something and she mm-hmm. got some flack from it from people on on the internet because of course she would because she's okay. a woman on the internet <laughs> she was like okay these people who are saying I shouldn't be posting this at my age or whatever what about this magazine cover I took when I was 17 years old right. where I'm wearing a bra and underwear mm-hmm. and that's it you know you're fine with it then exactly and how yeah things that were extremely exploitative and sexualizing a minor mm-hmm. are seen are put on magazine covers and then society judges a woman who is an adult for doing something that's not even the same and doing so under her own volition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, a really yeah. good point. No, yeah, when I was doing some acting stuff and I had an agent and I remember I went out and I was mm, probably 15-ish. I went out to this one. It wasn't for a commercial. It was actually for some sort of print ad. Mm-hmm. And... You just go and they took your photo to see if they wanted you to come back and whatnot. And I was just like sitting there looking around at everyone else. And I was just like, all these girls around me do not look like me. Mm -hmm. They have so much makeup on. They've done all of these things to their hair. I'm... I'm not going to do this anymore because I, I never want to feel like I'm not okay being myself mm-hmm. and that I have to do these things to be okay and acceptable in the world or to be attractive, you know, and yeah. nope. And so then I just quit mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's like, oh, so this is, this is what it's going to be like. That, these are the expectations. Yeah. And if, if you don't want to do that, which I I didn't like maybe now things would be a little different I think they've gotten a little bit better but over 15 years ago it's just no yeah either I have to conform to doing all of these things to my body and my face and my hair you know or I just leave so Mm. I left (laughs) yeah when I was acting I, I felt similar pressures and I was a boy man you know like I I, it I still felt it even you know within my own experiences so yeah yeah the last touch point I was kind of thinking about is when they're watching the recap that's three hours long she's thinking there's detailed coverage of the bloodbath and then the filmmakers basically alternate between shots of tributes dying and shots of us and I was just like isn't that so many action movies out there it's just shots of people dying people enacting that violence who are supposedly the heroes and then random romance that they smash in there even if it like 
doesn't make sense or doesn't add anything or is doing nothing new, you know? Yeah. And how, like, boring that is. <laughs> yeah, why? I haven't always liked a lot of action movies. Ugh, don't even get me started on the movie 300. <laughs> <laughs> but also, even, you know, some Marvel movies and stuff, that like, they still have this typical, this is what they do. It's like, let's go between these things. Yeah. It's like, who cares? But that's, that's the main form of the entertainment there presenting as like this is what you'll rewatch of these games you know like yeah these these are the deep well they won't be dvds because they're more technologically advanced than us blu-rays at least <laughs> yeah these are what people in the capital will buy you know yeah what about you what are your touch points yeah one of my touch points is how choosing the manner of your death can be such a powerful revolutionary tactic Mm -hmm. um you know we see this clearly with the berries here they both put those berries in their mouths they both commit to this fully putting themselves in great danger for this massive sign of protest for this massive action against what they're being told they're supposed to do it just made me think of some of the most iconic moments of protest that we've seen over the last hundred years or so and how much those often are people putting their own bodies at risk or choosing their form of death Mm. um you know we look at things like hunger strikes sit-ins the man standing in front of a tank in tiananmen square people lighting themselves on fire to protest these are the kinds of things that really can often stick in your mind and these become so iconic for such a uh, because they are so powerful and i think that it's just another example as to to why the hunger games and katniss's actions have become iconic in a way mm. why the three finger salute has become a symbol of resistance because much of the resistance that we see these characters do mirrors the powerful kinds of resistance that we've seen in society and yeah and just the 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 choice to put your own body your own life on the line for something is a profound choice and uh such commitment yeah exactly i mean it's the ultimate commitment right yeah my other touch point was how claudius temple smith comes over and says, actually, we've reviewed the rules, and (laughs) they say that the earlier rule change is wrong. So, uh, you know, we just have to go back to something that's going to be awful for you. Only one person can win. Oops. And it just made me think a lot about how bureaucracies (laughs) do that kind of thing a lot, where it's either rules are changed and then unchanged, or just like things are communicated incorrectly and the people who suffer for it are the ones who are already vulnerable and the ones Mm. who are already suffering because it honestly made me think about how at the one of the schools I teach at students are really frustrated with the advisors there students are telling stories about how they went to three different advisors and the first two told them one thing was needed for for graduation and then the third one said no you can't graduate now Mm. And so they have to take extra classes. They have to like completely change the things they're doing. And they are going to the people who are supposed to know these things and who are 
telling them different things. Totally, yeah. And I think that that's obviously much less vindictive and and (laughs) evil, but I think that it's an interesting parallel of how many parts of our society, people are expected to have so much expertise to advocate for themselves. I mean, they purposefully put language in things so that the layperson can't understand it and you have to hire a lawyer. You have to hire some expert. Mm -hmm. And if that lawyer expert steers you wrong, Mm -hmm. you're still liable for it because you hired the wrong lawyer and expert. Like it's just, there's no protections. There's no society focused vision of how these systems operate. Is the capital a really bad terms and conditions? (laughs) (laughs) The capital is a lot of things, but... uh, (laughs) We can add that one to the list. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that that actually kind of brings me to one of my wonderments. Okay, great. What are you wondering about? Which is, did President Snow or Seneca Crane, you know, or head people in the capital, did they want... Katniss to kill Peta in the end Mm. because the announcement wasn't made that only one of them could win until she had retrieved an arrow from the ground. That's a really good point. I didn't notice that. Yeah, he had, Peta had his His knife. His knife, yeah. But she didn't have anything because she had used her last arrow on Cato. And one earlier when she had shot at Cato had bounced off him right because of the armor he had had and she picked it up and then that's when the announcement comes so yeah I I was just thinking about if that's what they wanted because they knew that Peta wouldn't kill her Mm. and they wanted to dismantle this love story because people in the capital could relate to it Mm. because they, they were too excited about it because if People in the capital empathize or feel like they can understand people in the districts than the narrative of the people in the districts being subhuman, being so different from them. It, it kind of breaks down. Yeah. You know, if you see them loving each other one minute and then one of them turns around and ruthlessly kills the other the next minute, that would just like help reaffirm Mm-hmm. the capital's perspective that everyone in the districts is horrible and this is justified and it's okay. Um, so yeah, I, I was just kind of wondering, is that why that timing was done that way, you know? Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I never picked that up before, but that is really, really fascinating. Yeah, I, I didn't think about it before either. But in this read-through, I was like, why does this happen right after she picks up that arrow? Yeah. Why does it take so long for mm-hmm. it to happen and then it happens then? Yeah, that's that must be very intentional. And I'm sure was something that the game makers were having conversations about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. In which case, they already believed Peta and didn't believe her feelings. Mm. Granted, she didn't kill him. She mm-hmm. she was willing to maybe die with the berries rather yeah. than kill him but her first as soon as she saw him moving she pointed the arrow straight at him yeah, she didn't well, shoot but she had been in defensive mode oh for absolutely so long yeah yeah uh of course his movement was to throw his weapon into the lake 
because he's been in protective mode for so long. <laughs> also, just because Peter and Katniss. Peter, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I just thought that that was interesting and opened up a whole set of different questions and yeah. of how, in in this other way, the game makers might be manipulating the games and potentially even who's winning sometimes you know absolutely yeah i was also thinking about haymitch he he was keeping katniss and Peeta away from each other after Mm -hmm. the games he clearly didn't want katniss to talk to Peeta, and with good reason yeah And uh, Peter says, there's just this, and we go home. Then he can't watch us all the time. And then Katniss thinks, I feel a short shiver run through me, and there's no time to analyze why. What do you think that means? Yeah, I, I, I kind of, I, I stopped there too, because I, I saw two different directions for it. One, which was probably just my fan fictiony brain <laughs> was her starting to feel some tingles and be like, oh yeah, there will be some times when we get back to District 12 where we'll be alone. Hamish <gasps> won't be around. There that won't didn't... be a camera in my face. Exactly. But that didn't feel entirely like Katniss. So I was like, maybe you're making this up, Chris. And so the other way I thought was like, it was a shiver of worry for the conversation that she knew they were going to have, which they ended up having off the train. So one is like anticipation and excitement. The other, which I think is probably more likely the case, would be a shiver of subconsciously already being anxious about knowing that this is, that their relationship cannot continue the way it is as it is and that Pete is probably going to be hurt. Mm. It's interesting because other things that she's thought in the past is like, Pete is can be unpredictable and maybe that would be interesting under different circumstances and it doesn't mm-hmm. say like what are those circumstances Katniss what do you mean um, by interesting Katniss <laughs> exactly but clearly it's leaning that way but yeah. this one I'd never thought of it that it could be leaning that way until this read through because I had actually always thought of it like instead of thinking about Hamish watching them all the time thinking about the capital mm. watching them all the time and that we're going to be home, but it's not going to be home anymore, you yeah. know? But I don't know, and they don't tell us. So. But after all these years, I've rubbed, up off, rubbed off on you, and now you are like, oh, what's Katniss thinking there? Actually, I read that, and I was like, I wonder if Chris would read it this way. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Chris's fan fiction, <laughs> mushy, pita lover boy brain exactly is, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whereas i'm like stay vigilant <laughs> constant vigilance exactly yes <laughs> but what about you what are some of your wonderments one thing that i was wondering was who the little girl is who brings the crown out on stage with president snow poor girl well i wondered if maybe she's his granddaughter because I think there's a reference to him having there, a granddaughter. There is, yeah. Um, and so it made me wonder if, if that was the case and, you know, was that part of the pageantry? But also, is she a kind of heir apparent for Snow? Mm. Is he trying to keep, get her involved early with the Hunger Games to cement her as a part of the Hunger Games and a part of the capital in that way? Yeah, just made me wonder who she mm. is and, and what that, you know, why she's there because... The capital would have a reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, or, I mean, I think those are definitely um, good reasons why the Capitol would want to. I could also think of another, which would be, look at our safe children. Mm, Totally. You know? Yeah, Yeah, that's such a good point. Well, I have one last wonderment, uh, and I can't believe it took me this long to think about this. (laughs) Okay. Because Katniss reflects on how her prep team, when they're talking about the games, they're all focused on themselves, Mm -hmm. on what they were doing, how they felt when things were happening in the games. They weren't weren't caring about the tributes. And it made me think, are there people in the Capitol who take it more seriously? Are there critics of the Hunger Games? Mm. Are there commentators? Is there fandom? Are there commentators or is there only the official commentators because they wouldn't want anyone to have the power of a following that could contradict something that the capital would say i mean that's a good question yeah. but that, that's the thing is hmm. are there podcasts about the hunger games <laughs> oh, there are podcasts in the capital <laughs> so yeah i think that 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 just put my brain on fire of what it would be like to be a fan creator and yeah to what extent the capital would have you know a firm hand on your shoulder to, to watch what you're saying and to ensure that you're not saying things that are critical or saying things that would be revolutionary um, or if that's how AVOXs are found. And yeah, it just made me think a lot about participatory fandom for the Hunger Games in the capital. Mm-hmm. And even just like academics, critical thinking mm. in general. Yep. You know, if, if you're going to become a game maker... You must have taken classes on analyses of past games. Mm -hmm. You would have had to, right? I wonder if it's just in certain circles it's allowed or if a lot of them... I mean, obviously, (laughs) going back to our world, obviously our podcast, compared to probably a lot of podcasts out there, a little heavier on the analytical part of it... Mm -hmm. um, Whereas a lot of podcasts are just, like, people talking about the things that they love about their favorite things, which, you know, that's totally fine. But I could I could imagine there being a lot of that in the Capitol. But, totally. Um, I'm sure there are, some, there are some people like us. Again, we're in the United States. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're in the Capitol. So our government doesn't really like dissent. <laughs> they don't react to it in the same way that... The capital does, but Yet. also... I mean, but look at Russia. They mm. just announced that it's illegal in Russia to call the invasion of Ukraine a war. <laughs> you know? So, like, yeah. there are places that do have that kind of censorship and that kind of government Absolutely. crackdown. Um, but it's important to also mention that many people are breaking these laws fragrantly in mm. protest, and, and, you know, that's important, too. Definitely. But most importantly, do you think the podcast would be called Hunger Gabs? <laughs> oh, who, what is the podcast? There's only one. There's only one. I hope not, <laughs> but I think it probably it might happen. There could be Hungry Games where they talk about what's happening and what they're eating oh, at the same that time. Oh, certainly exists. <laughs> exactly. Yes, yes. <laughs> Hungry, hungry games. Hungry, hungry games is definitely, <laughs> definitely one of them. Oh no! Now we're just now we really are the capital. No, what have you done, Chris? 
Well, listeners, if you want to hear us say, come up with more Hunger Game podcast <laughs> names, you could do so by becoming a supporter of the podcast on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> If we have enough demand, maybe we'll make it a special episode. It's <laughs> true. <laughs> but we are going to forego our intentions for this episode. But what's happening next time on The Hunger Games? So next week is going to be our wrap-up of the first book of the trilogy episode. And that means that there's going to be a lot of spoilers. So if this is your first read-through of these books... You want to skip next week's episode because I'm not going to be putting time markers in for spoilers because it's just going to be everywhere. So yeah, we're going to discuss some of the takeaways from our read-through thus far as well as definitely looking ahead of things. And maybe back. And maybe back. 64 years back. Yes. So yeah, it'll it'll be great and uh, a good way to wrap up this book before we start our read-through of Catching Fire. Mm-hmm. If you want to find links to our social media or our website, those are all in the episode description. Once again, you can join us at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines. We're so grateful for all of our supporters, and we hope that you'll join them soon. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.